Welcome to The Committed Innovator, where experienced innovators and unsung heroes share their triumphs and trials with our host, Eric Roth, the global leader of McKinsey's innovation and growth practice. We'll uncover the real stories behind successful innovations and take you behind the scenes with the leaders developing innovative new technologies and business models to unlock long-term growth. In this episode of The Committed Innovator, we talked with the innovators from three large organizations about how they approach their relations with startups. Roy Barkat is the head of Intel Capital in Israel. Nedalee Mieri is the chief of global tech innovation for the Israeli food company Strauss Group. And David Schwartz is the VP of tech innovation for PepsiCo Labs. We talked about the intersection of corporate innovation and startup-led innovation and how they can support one another. We started off by talking about why Israel is a place for our panelist companies to look for innovation. You'll hear from Roy first, and then Netalie, and then David. I want to start off with uh, a question that hopefully will be an easy one, which is why are your companies and funds so interested in Israel as a source of innovative business models, technology? Why Israel? So the obvious answer is all the numbers, right? I think there are like five, five to 6,000 startups, I think you mentioned, at any given point in time, and you can find anything about anything at any given point in time. A lot of engineers, sort of a corporate aspect is, or around the multinationals that are here. Uh, so there's a lot of sort of mutual learning experiences, know-hows, et cetera. I think that's also a contributing factor. Yeah, so I can add to that on top of the talent that we do have here. As part of the robust ecosystem in Israel, it's very easy to reach out to them because we're geographically close to one each other. When you do need as a corporate to find a solution, it's really easy to find it here. Israeli startups are characterized in their rapidness. Uh, they're very eager to succeed. So for us, it's also exploring new opportunities with them because they're very eager to, to expand globally. It's, a, it's also an opportunity to leverage the Israeli part of Strauss to, towards other uh, geographies that we're active in. I'll give three reasons, which hopefully are adding value to what we all know. The first is the technology works. It's deep tech and it actually works, which is an advantage over many markets. Second is we can have an open conversation. We've had very candid discussions and you could go right to the point. It's not about being nice, being soft, which is being professional, but we'll solve the problem. And the third is you'll listen to the problem and solve it. It's not bureaucratic. It's not going to be slow. It's going to be really quick. And if we want to be innovative and we want to move quick, we have to have a candid discussion. That all sounded great. However, the reality is when we work with large companies who do CVCs and others, the reality is a little different than, than the wish. And in general, things we hear are, it's difficult to make investments. Our timelines are different than the startup timelines. Capital isn't as free to invest as we might otherwise hope it could be. We see stuff, they don't get it, summarizing. What is your experience in terms of what's actually working? And where do you find the challenges that start to arise? So you summarized it correctly. There are a lot of gaps between startups that want to run fast and they want to validate their product and they want to expand and they want to start sales. And corporates, they work based on, on strategies and they have long-term uh, programs and, and they're not really open to improvisations. However, they are more interested when they do find value. So for us as innovation managers, I'm also partially speaking on behalf of David, which uh, we also work very heavily together, is also to find the places in which we can collaborate, where we as innovation managers can bring value 
to the company, understanding the business units and organizational functions needs. Because when you do find a concrete value proposition for them, they are more interested in listening. So it's not just shooting in the dark and saying, hey, I have a startup for you, but rather focusing on their concrete needs. When they do understand that there is an alignment between their needs and the solutions that we can bring, which is seamlessly, rapidly, cheap, significantly cheaper than other developments. So they're more eager to listen to us. So it's mostly overcoming these differences, but also communicating it to the startup saying, listen, we're not going to work in a week. We know how time is crucial and sensitive for you, but you also need to come forward and, and try to find maybe someplace in the middle so all of us can meet. So it's, it's mostly understanding the, the need to follow up, to better communicate with them, not just to neglect them and put them uh, aside and uh, maybe talk to them in, in six months. And showing the, the fact that they are, that you are interested in collaborating with them, but also communicating it to the corporate saying, listen, if we do want to work with them, especially if you want to become design partners, which means we will have to work significantly faster than usual. So it's also, you know, understanding for the people who are the change agents within the corporate that you can work with. Actually, in the last two months, I had two startups who asked us to slow down because we're going too quickly for them. But it, it depends which part of the business. If we go to emerging tech and we're quickly testing things, we can move really quickly. If we're going to touch something like a factory floor, it has to be proven out in every which way. This is food that goes in the human body before we scale it to 300,000 employees. So therefore, it's what we try to do is really quickly two parts. Understand the need in the business that it's so crystal clear that the startup knows exactly what they're solving for, then we could work much quicker. Second is fit for purpose test. If we're testing the technology, the first step of the test is not to prove world peace or that I could do everything. Prove a simple part. If that succeeds, next milestone, next milestone. We find you can move much quicker if it's clearly laid out. Yeah, so we, we have a, a, a sort of a different perspective. Intel Capital being a, a corporate VC, you know, we've been around for over 30 years and, and there's this pendulum of, of, you know, shifting between different mo models. And about five or six years ago, we shifted away from a, you know, being a classic strategic investor where I, I agree with you, things did not, didn't work, at least to the extent that they could have. Uh, you know, you've had business units wanting to invest in certain areas and, and then priorities would change. The, the certain VP that pushed for that, that champion had left or whatever it may be. And, you know, you ended up with orphan companies. What we, what we did, not to say that it's the, the best model or perfect, but we shifted things around where we invest in the best startups out there. We try to, regardless necessarily of, you know, business units strategies. And it's sort of, remember that movie, uh, build it and, and they will come. So if we invest in the best companies out there, that will have its effect on the business units. So let me push you each a little bit. In the venture capital world, as everyone would know, having a strong, clear investment thesis really matters. How would you articulate each of your company's investment thesis as to why it's a good source of capital for a venture? If I were going to challenge you a little bit on what you just said, you say, hey, we have money. There's money in lots of places. So the build it and they will come could be done by any number of, of VCs. Why is Intel disproportionately advantaged in doing that? And then Back to, to each of, you know, PepsiCo and Strauss, why is your investment thesis better than a venture going somewhere else for capital? If we look at a startup, at least the startups we've met, they're one of three things they're looking for. It's financing, the money, which is, as you said, pretty easy to get, or it's pretty available. 
there's expertise in scale. Given that the money is out there and see that more as a commodity, we in our areas that we're trying to solve, it's about the expertise and the scale that PepsiCo could offer. We're strategic. We're not looking for the financial side. We're looking for the strategic impact to PepsiCo. So then if we know our problem, what we were saying earlier, we now test the solution and we see both in terms of scale and the expertise they offer us and we offer them, that it makes sense that they will impact our business then it's a pretty straightforward investment opportunity. So now that's filtering the companies. To actually invest in the company because it's strategic, how we look at it is an entirely different lens. For example, could we accelerate the product development? Could we accelerate the geographic expansion? Could we bring new expertise combined with their expertise to bring a new level of capability that neither of us could do without the other? Then it's a pretty straightforward thesis. And they want our investment, not all of them, but many of them, because it's so laid out of exactly how we're going to work together. The one underlying part is when we do an investment, the corporate, I mean, the corporate itself and the startups actually want to see the other succeed. So instead of a vendor relationship, it becomes a partner relationship, which furthers that strategic objective of scale and expertise to build something new. To your point, you know, you need to differentiate between the internal perspective of how we operate in the context of Intel and then how the entrepreneurs and the other co-investors view us. What I said before really touches on on the internal aspect. How do we create strategic value to Intel in the long run? From the entrepreneur's perspective, I think the trick is to, there's a saying in Hebrew, to be with and to feel without, to bring in the, the value that an Intel can bring, but without the downside. So we try to operate as any financial VC, you know, not have... Any, you know, not to weigh the company down any, you know, or color them Intel, but to bring them the access to the customers and partners, et cetera. So we're on that sort of line, uh, that optimal line, hopefully. The number of CVCs being started each year is just, just skyrocketing. A lot of folks who probably listen to this may be considering whether this is a good idea or not for their, for their organization. What would be the one piece of advice you would say whether they should or shouldn't start a CVC? Well, the first thought that comes to mind, and I'm sorry, but it's not necessarily should or shouldn't, but one of the things that they have to make sure is that they understand it's a long-term game. If they want to have the opportunity to invest in the best companies out there, the companies and the co-investors, the ecosystem needs to know that it's there for good, or at least for several years going forward. It's not a good or bad, but it's a, it's, it's a must-to-have. So actually, we just recently established uh, innovation, the IT innovation activity at Strauss Group. So we currently do not have investments yet. So I'll, I'll break out. There's food and beverage investing and there's tech investing. I focus on the technology side. Being clear and consistent on your objectives. If it's very clear, you're strategic or financial and you stay true to that throughout, you have a lot more success than going back and forth. The second is have an underlying way of working that's much deeper than just venturing. At least for us, being more strategic, it's more about the finding solutions that solve our needs, embedding them in the business. And then venturing is one of the levers that helps us achieve that goal. But if we're clear on our goal and we stay consistent on investing to support that goal, it has a lot of success. And if you could offer advice to the ventures themselves as to what they need to do to make themselves more presentable to you, what, what would that be? I think uh, it, it, it's aligned with the comments that we had previously on the question of, of how do startups work with the corporate. So first, it's, it's understanding the different paces uh, of corporates and startups, understanding that you know, it's not just a quick win, but you do need to aim for the long haul. 
So in this aspect, uh, it's understanding which are the most relevant use cases that you can uh, offer to the company. Do your homework, do the diligence before you reach out to a company, because sometimes if it's, it's related to specific milestones that the company has achieved, that the corporate has achieved, so of course it's much more relevant and the reach out would be much more custom made. So we do highly appreciate once, you know, the startups that we speak with do not give only their generic blurb and a deck and just talk about their company, but also how they can be applicable for us. So this is one of the main things that we do see as, as one of the advantages. Understanding, of course, the competition. Um, many startups, you know, they're very interested in highlighting their uh, solution, but not necessarily versus other ones. So in this case, having uh, an articulate competitive analysis and, and a good landscape of what are the other solutions and what are what makes you become better than, than the others and what do you do differently is also a very important thing. Being open for criticism, uh, because along the way, especially when you do start to work together, the corporate and startup. So there are, of course, many calibrations needed, especially with early stage startup, because if you are a design partner, so you're assisting the startup to design its solution. So in this case, it's also understanding what are the needs of the company. Be more humble when you reach out to these uh, to this process, because it, it's going to take it's going to be lengthy. It's going to be challenging. Because I think that this is maybe like these are the keywords uh, that I see. Bring value because this is what we're looking for. It's less whether we're going to pay after 30 days, 45 days, 90 days. It doesn't matter, right? Because we do see the long haul. So once you understand the value proposition that you can bring and you better articulate it to the, to the corporate, we're, we're going to have a different conversation. I think the trick is for the startup to understand when's the point in time where they need to make up their own mind rather than get convinced by whatever input the, the corporate is giving them because they risk getting sort of strangled by the, the large organization. So I think, you know, they need to be, to take things with a, a, a grain of salt in front of them. There's this huge opportunity, but then there's a question of how much time and resources they're, they're going to invest before understanding, you know, they need to move on or whatever it may be. So come open with a little bit of skepticism as well, I think. Just to add to what's already been said, because there are great points. And if a startup could have that integrity on two parts, one is honest about where they are with their solution. And second is honest about what they can and can't share with us. I don't want to know what they're doing with Gil and Mondelez. That's a breach of integrity. And I don't trust that they'll keep what I do with them a full secret. That was always the first bar. I think it's with every startup. Will you maintain that integrity? Part one. Part two is a simple framework, relevance and differentiation. How relevant are you to our needs? And how differentiated are you from all the other startups who do almost identical things? Things are changing around in the world around us right now. How is that affecting the way you're looking at opportunities as well as perhaps your experience? You're part of the Israeli experience, you know, Israel's place in the world relative to entrepreneurship and venturing. Things are tough for startups these days. How are you, how are you seeing it? So from, from the VC perspective, you know, we've, we've seen since COVID started, we've seen rapid sort of shifts up, down, sideways. But I think we're all being very cautious. Most of our companies, even those that are, that are very rich and well-performing, they're all sort of at times tightening uh, the belt. It, it makes a lot of sense, both because from, from the investment standpoint, a lot of companies raised a lot of money, but at very high valuations, which are you know, numbers, and I'm not talking about specifically Intel Capital, but broadly as an industry. And, and that valuations would need to be sort of caught up 
towards the next financing. And the other point is that from, from the revenue standpoint, we're seeing that a lot of the enterprise customers are also sort of taking more of a cautious stance. Uh, it takes longer to close deals. So from a revenue standpoint, we're seeing a slowdown in new revenues. And also in terms of acquisitions, we're seeing a slowdown. So again, it's not news. Things are tough. You know, we're talking about with with our companies to try to reach 24 months of runway. Again, I, th- I think it's a pretty standard sort of uh, recommendation. So I think that for us as a company, we do still need to keep our competitive advantage. We're still looking for innovation. It's a whole different process than investments in general. In my opinion, I think that COVID has created a significant digital transformation and a lot of urge and concrete need for us to better understand what are the solutions that should be rapidly. Everything is, of course, relative, but rapidly implemented in the company. So our perspective, it's mostly how do we better interact and engage with startups. So I think it's it's a different way for us to to analyze the, the overall condition. However, we, we are most, more uh, cautious also about budget. So we're mostly interested in the opportunities that not necessarily are low-hanging fruits, but the ones that we do see more value and, and better opportunities for the business. So we, we better cherry pick um, our collaborations with the startups. Given the macroeconomic condition, many would say CVCs tend to invest later anyway, overpay, and are much slower. So does this economic environment, to your point, if you're getting a little bit more conservative, exacerbate that? Or does it uh, just make you slightly slower? What's, what's, the, what's the implication to, you know, again, my, the, the rumors may not be real, but that's what many would say. So what's the, what, how does that, how does the macroeconomic condition either impact that or not? The macroeconomic, actually, I see it as helping us because it's no longer, and our main goal, again, being strategic is not to do as many investments as we can, but now we don't have to run for a week or two to sign a term sheet and get a deal through. That's not our goal to begin with. And we, so now we have the gift of time to be more, have better due diligence and make sure there's really a strategic fit with the business. So you say it creates, it's created a little bit more of a, a safer space to take your time and do the things you normally do, as opposed to what you may have yeah. experienced otherwise, where there's a much more competitive churn for, for some of the ventures. Exactly. And let's make the right decision for us and the startup. I don't want to invest in a company that a year later we pull out of the investment. It doesn't make sense. We're setting them up for more success and we're setting us up for more success because we have more buy-in from the organization. Then we know it's more differentiated and a greater fit and more relevant to what we need. So it's a win-win. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a return to um, the norm that, w- that we used to have before 2020, right? Not doing a deal within 24 hours. Given the need for a competitive advantage, given the time you've earned, is this a, a great time for enterprises to think about a CVC? they're considering starting one? It's a great time if you're clear on what you want. So this would be a great setup for you to do projects with every major company. If it's clear what you're trying to achieve, it's a great time. So I love what you're saying because I think that that degree of clarity, whether it's strategic or financial, is not well understood for most enterprises. And I'd go a step further. We don't even call ourselves a CVC. When it makes sense to do an investment and there's a rationale, we have a committee and we do an investment. But it has to be clear on the objectives and how we're adding value to them and they're adding value to us above and beyond a commercial agreement. There's no reason for an investment if it doesn't have a clear commercial value. And most times we can negotiate it through a, negotiate, uh, through a commercial agreement. So the goal then is align the incentives. If we could have the incentives of our venturing 
or investments and the business, and they both want the same success, which again, links to clear objectives and clear KPIs. But a hold those executives who come to you, give them KPIs for the success of the investments and then see if they still want to do it. So, that, so there's a debate. Do you do this yourself or do you invest as a LP in a different fund? And that's a debate that's gone on across companies for years. They're different size that. I'd be really interested in your, your view as to from an from a enterprise standpoint, which is better or if not better, what are the advantages and disadvantages of each approach? Right. I don't think it's uh, right or wrong. The two models are different and they each have their own pros and cons. If you operate as, a, as an LP in multiple funds, I, you, know, you may have broader access, but maybe not as deep. Right, you can potentially be an LP in funds that operate in different geographies, different verticals, etc. I think what we see with us is we enjoy the deep access into the community, into the different technologies, the different markets, business models, etc. By being a direct investor in what today is a, is a pretty large portfolio. This is a personal bias. I won't say on behalf of a company, but we shy away from investing in other funds. Don't see the rationale for it. I see a competitive disadvantage by doing it. For instance, you're now biased to specific companies. You don't get a holistic view of the market. You could be perceived by other startups or venture capital firms as competing, and they won't share their full deal flow of what startups are out there. We've had these discussions, and it just makes sense to be apolitical, not focused on anyone, not overly committed. So we have optionality to always use the best technology to keep PepsiCo advantage in the market. Let's switch gears to, okay, we've made the investment. How do you make something scale inside the enterprise? Once you, whether you're incubating it from start or you're investing in it, one of the challenges we see time and time again is things just never have, never scale to the degree that the intended, that the, you know, whether it's the investment or it's an incubation, whether it was intended to. What are the tricks to getting that right? It's a good question. I'm going to talk about it from the incubation acceleration perspective. I think that one of my main goals is not only to, of course, not have a POC because having a POC in order to say I had a POC is, is useless, right? We want to have a POC in order to further develop it and, and, and implement it eventually. But one of the things that I find mostly interesting for me is not only implementing it at one business unit, but rather expanding it towards other business units or organizational functions within the company. It's understanding the bigger picture, how we can implement the solution in different business units or, or other uh, domains within the company. It's just doing an internal scale up of the company, understanding that if we want to work now, for example, on an AI analytics platform, it's not just seeing it in the confectionery uh, business, but also seeing it in other departments and how we can make it become really our home startup. Okay. For us as a uh, just understanding after we've done all the due diligence process and the assessment and uh, after we made sure that we're satisfied by the solution, how we can continue working with them as vendors. And I know that many startups are afraid of, uh, of the word vendor, but for us, it's a good thing because it means that you are going to be our good to go uh, solution and not only to have it like, you know, a one time experience. So for me, I think it's mostly thinking about how we can make the collaborations with startups more, more sustainable and, and broader within the company. So, uh, you know, we, there are the organizational processes, like for example, with us, we have an organization within the fund in charge of portfolio development. And there they have, you know, various activities to connect between startups and the different business units. But other than the structured processes, to me personally, it's really a matter of finding 
the right sort of partners to tangle with in the business units. Again, it's not a methodic way of, of doing things, but it's it, it just works. It's finding the executives, you know, look for the innovators within the organization that are sensitive to the startup's constraints, uh, limited resources, time, etc., and are really, really able to move things forward. To me, it's even a different question, which is how do you start off with the plan to scale? And there are two simple rules we have. First is anything we look at is based on a need. What's that need in the business? We spent two months to really define the business need. Once we do that, we know that's going to be universal and we'll get adoption. The second is it's executive sponsored. So we won't start the program till the executive VP says, this is my problem. His experts confirm and his VPs, we'll call the, the leaders who drive it forward, are fully supportive. Then when we're piloting, testing and updating them, they're so on board and they're telling everyone the word gets out throughout the business. Then when it comes to the point that it succeeds, we have KPIs we talked about. It's so clear that it's right for the business, and then it becomes explaining it and making it setting up for success. The two KPIs we look at when we're testing a technology is underlying machine learning or its capability and its user interface. If that works and it solves a problem, easy to use, it's pretty straightforward to take it to the business. How do you measure success? Like, what are the KPIs? That either at an enterprise level or in the in the individual, uh, whether it's a venture and or the the project level, what what does success look like and how do you measure that? So first, we're setting KPIs uh, with the business unit or organizational function even before we start, even before we start the POC. Once the POC uh, we finish it, so we we get to see what were the metrics, whether it was we were satisfied by by the the KPIs, AI analytics, for example. So if we think about a use case of promo optimization, so how do we match uh, better match the prices of our different products uh, within the retailers properly, just to understand whether Provide, giving a 10% discount or 15% discount, whether it will move the needle or not. So once we aggregate a lot of data, because it, these are big data solutions, we better understand, was it, was, was, it, was it a good decision for us to work with this startup? What were the results? And these are backed by numbers. So it's much easier to see versus other solutions that might be less tangible. So once we do see that there is a success, the holy grail is not only to keep it in one business model and say, okay, so we're going to continue working with it, but also presenting it to other business units, either in Israel or globally, and understanding how we can make this startup uh, a much broader, uh, giving it uh, much broader uh, opportunities within the company. And once we do see that internally it works better, so it's much easier for us also to better articulate it internally. So I think that with, for us, there is a difference between the KPIs that we set in advance before we start a POC the one that we set after there is a success and before the rollout and the KPIs that we do with each and every business unit after we have the initial, the first deployment in a business unit. We have the classic leading lagging indicators, which are all very interesting, but it really comes down to two simple things. Was it integrated in the business and what was the business impact? And at the end of every year or every few months, I get asked the same two questions. How many solutions got integrated in the business and what was their impact from financial impact to sustainability impact? This theme is keep it simple. But what about longer term impact? Is that is that one of your that, that's metrics? That's a great question. That's part of it. It's current impact and forecasted impact because most of the innovation doesn't hit immediately. But when we sign up the business and they put in their AOP or their annual operating plan and their long term strategy with the financial number linked to it, 
than its impact that we're f currently making or forecasted to make. So, so I think you just said a few things that were really important that I'm going to highlight is Please. the business puts it in their plan. Your investment was in a strategic plan of a business unit. Mm -hmm. That is a, a rarity, I think, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the reality of, of this kind of activity. I will add to that because, David, you raised good points in this, is that part of our work is not only top down, it's when it's embedded within the strategy, but rather bottom up. And I do think that giving the innovation managers also the prerogative and the mandate to scout and sometimes surprise the business units by saying, listen, we know your needs because we've been working together for a while and we've had our success and we've built trust together. Maybe this solution could be relevant for you. And sometimes it's not even embedded that it's very important for them also to keep an open mind about relevant and, and interesting solutions that not, might not be exactly the, the same ones that are written in the strategy. Of course, the, the top down is the best way because it's it's more safe, it's more solid because it's already written and you should embed it on top of the strategy, but also being open to it. And I call it the appetite comes with eating approach. It's like, okay, I know, I know you, I know what you need and I can provide it to you even if it's not officially written and, and maybe it could be also a good match. I think it, I think that the, maybe the ratio should be 80, 20, like to, to the top down 80 and, and the bottom up 20, because I do think there should be some wiggle room also to, to leave some, maybe some prerogative for us and then some discretion to innovation managers. So perhaps an insight emerging from here is if you're a venture, do your homework on the investment arm that you're dealing with, because if they really understand the enterprise are networked in or bottom up and can articulate that well, the probability of them being a good investment partner for you, it goes way up as opposed to the meet and greets that happen where the you know, the investor from the corporates come in, fly by, meet a bunch of startups. Maybe they come back, maybe the email, who knows what happens after that. But I was, I would imagine that a venture can, can learn a lot by just the nature of how they interact with you and your colleagues in other companies in terms of their degree of an insight in how the company operates. Would you, would you agree with that? Fully agree. Our whole model is understanding the problem, doing pilots, and then only then having a conversation that might consider an investment because we're not calling ourselves a CVC. We're building strategic relationships with the startups. So there is no meet and greets and then let's be opportunistic. It's we've looked so deep under the hood. We know exactly your impact. So it's laid up for success for both us, but even more importantly for the startup because for them, it's make or break. And now we're setting them up for success as well. I think for, for the startups that are considering working with CVCs, I would even take it a step further and say, assume that all the meet and greet and all the potential value, other than having their name on, on your website, whatever it may be, assume sort of very soft, high-level BD efforts. Nothing is guaranteed. And make sure that your diligence shows that as an investor around the table, they, they know what they're doing because you're going to need them in follow-on investments. Often a lot of the CVCs have board representatives. Do they understand what it means to be a board member on your company? That's a tricky point for a lot of the CVCs. Well, and some can't really even be a board member on companies, depending on how the financial structure is set up. And that they, not all of them understand that, to your point. Exactly. So make sure that they pass that, that bar of being a, a good financial investor for you. And then everything that comes on top of that is a bonus. We have some questions for our panelists from the audience. The first is asking you to describe the best and worst investments you've ever made. 
I think one of my one of my takeaways, which is unfortunate, is that there's a lot of randomness in what we do. So a lot of really, really good companies struggle, a lot of companies that are are good, but you know, you wouldn't have expected to, to get an uh, an acquisition offer so early. Specific companies, that's a hard one. I love them all equally. Similar, it's difficult to say. Some in that have integrated fully in the business, those are the biggest successes. Because not only is it a challenge and an investment opportunity, but the impact has been uh, millions of liters of water saved, not in agriculture, manufacturing and other parts in our, our business. One of the challenges, one solution, the technology ended up not being all the way to what the, it proved itself. This is before we had a rigorous pilot program. And that's part of what drove us to say, before we think about an investment, it's all about this, the testing, the technology, and more importantly, solving the use case. So if it solves the use case, it's set up for success. It's the risk tolerance of corporates where you're already there. There still won't be a 100% success rate, but significantly higher, slightly more conservative. It's more strategic in, in that sense. Our next question is about whether you view your work as being more innovation or corporate venturing. What percentage of your work is generating innovation on its own, separate from the investments? So maybe a little bit about Strauss's innovation structure. So we do have the kitchen, which is which is an incubation program, and we do invest there, but we invest only in food tech. I'm doing the non-food uh, innovation, which means part of the IT innovation I focus on cybersecurity and, and HR and other enterprise software solutions alongside Industry 4.0, data and analytics, new business models, uh, and so on and so forth. So first, we're a brand new uh, activity. We were established in less than six months. So maybe this is the reason that we're still under the radar a little bit. And we are being active in some in some areas and in some others. Uh, we're still trying to build this strategy with the business units, as mentioned before. We're gearing up. We don't have a CVC, at least not an official one. We do we do have investments, as mentioned, through the kitchen, but, also, but only in the uh, food tech domain. For us, it's mostly... You know, integrating and implementing innovative solutions within the different business units and organizational functions. So this is what I'm fully focused on. And hopefully we're going to start investing. We're not sure whether we're going to do it through a CVC or or working with, uh, with a VC as a limited partner. I think we're going to have a CVC, but we're going to discover it uh, maybe in the plans for next year. I'll keep it simple. We have food and beverage venturing, and that's over 300,000 employees who are pretty big. We have different groups. They invest in food and beverage startups. Our team is, as you described, we're tech innovation. We're trying to get tech in the business. Never use the word we're a CVC. We're not. I use, we are sometimes that we opportunistically or strategically invest in solutions when it makes sense for the business. But our goal is to land, bit, land startups in PepsiCo to have an impact to our company. Before we get to the next question, one of the things I, I have noticed about a lot of corporations is they don't reveal their needs very easily, nor how you can navigate to meet their needs if you have a solution outside. Often inside in their business plans, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate as to what challenges they have and how they solve them. But very rarely do they think outside is the first place to go versus my own capabilities, assets, skills, and experience. And I think that's an opportunity if you think about not only Israel, but, but also other venture hubs across the world that to help make to to help enterprises understand that solutions often are just just a step or two away. The next audience question centers on how to integrate a startup solution with a corporate culture, and who are the key stakeholders in the corporation that need to be involved in this. Once you bring in a startup or invest in it, who in the corporation needs to take the reins to ensure that the solution or the venture scales and creates value in the way it was intended? We're 
universal, we're apolitical. We work with all the business. Legal, IT, procurement, data security, every startup, we go through the whole process. We're, we're a facilitator. We have laid out a parallel universe. There's working with large enterprises and there's working with them to do the full data security, the full check. A startup is small. They're agile. We're doing a very simple test. Does it work or doesn't it work? Therefore, we have a parallel set of processes that are so simple. A few questions. Does it pass the data check? Legal, we have a set of agreements fit for purpose based on the level of relationship we have. So I don't think there's that stakeholder as much as every one of the parts that will touch the, the startup. They're involved from day one, but at the right amount of time, a right amount of involvement at the right time in the process. The second is where we started. It's the executive. The executive knows the problem. They're rallied behind it. They're the one that will facilitate it happening in the business. But now when they say they want to do it, we have every part of the business knowing exactly what their role is as an orchestra to test and make quick decisions. I will add to that that it's very important for us as a corporate also to have the stakeholders, the senior management onboarded because we do want to have two pre two main prerequisites. The first one is ensuring a budget because it's very, very important. We we can sponsor the, the POC or even the implementation, but because we want to make sure that, that they are part of us, that they're part of the, the pilot and not just, you know, that they have a skin in the game. Put your money where your mouth is. So it means that you do have specific interest because it's already part of your PL. The other thing is also to have a dedicated team, which is part of the collaboration between the corporate and the startup, which means that you're going to have a dedicated PMO for this, uh, for the POC and afterwards, uh, hopefully the implementation. And it's also to ensure how serious they are and that they do not see it lightly, this collaboration. First, it's also having the due diligence and having all the stops underway, but also making sure that the stakeholders within the business units or the, the uh, organization uh, functions are part of it and they they are, they are aware of the risks, they're aware of the benefits, and they're eager to start the role, uh, to roll with us. I have two examples uh, outside of Intel Capital. Uh, one more structured than the other. So the structured one within Intel, there's a very large business unit called Data Center and AI. Within that, there's a smaller organization called Data Center Business Incubation Office. Now, their goal is to build the next billion-dollar business, but in the relatively short term. And they work with startups. What they do, which I think is a sort of efficient way to tackle the day two issue, is you know, they, they remind me of the sort of the Marine Corps. They have their own resources, sales, marketing, engineering, and they're independent. They don't need to rely on Intel's sales and marketing organization or Intel's engineering they have everything in-house, and they're able to build that better together, go-to-market offering with a startup in a, in a much more agile, independent way. So that's one way. The other is uh, Intel Ignite. Intel Ignite's Intel's accelerator program. Uh, they're based here in Israel, Germany, and Boston. What they did is they mapped engineers, relatively executive from different places within Intel, but people that are innovators and they are sort of uh, an intersection from, from which innovation can spread into a lot of different people within the organization. And they connect them with the startups very intimately and very sort of deeply. And it's sort of a way to get the, the startup virus spread within the organization. Our last question is, how can a startup with a broad solution, such as a platform that can do many, many things, approach a large organization when their solution is not a specific one, but rather one that can address many, many needs? Does a startup really need to focus to attract a large enterprise? 
or can it come with a more general solution and then co-create its way to something of value? For us, it comes with the question, what's your use case? If you have a clear use case, we'll find you the right person to speak to or we'll assess it as well for the team. But it has to be clear what that use case is to use it. I think that just before I mentioned the top-down and bottom-up approaches, I think maybe you should start with some clear use cases, but also say, let's imagine together. Once you do see that one use case is applicable and relevant for us and it's successful, so maybe we can further think about relevant ones, understanding the technology, because only after you test it, you see the value of it. So I think that maybe starting in one specific use case and then expanding towards other others after we better understand the technology. Yeah, with us specifically, we see it as one of our goals to make sure that the, you know, the, the startup doesn't get pulled into so many directions. And it often happens, you know, you get a lot of people that do have affiliation to innovation and they're excited and, but again, nothing happens in, in day two. So the goal for us as a fund within Intel to find the right partners to tango with, et cetera. So if you have the right access point, the right partners, they should be able to uh, direct you in the right directions. What I would say, unfortunately, often with our experience as a fund, having portfolio companies that often engage with innovation offices is that the innovation offices have a hard time passing it on beyond their own backyard into people that have budgets and really are able to productize. So I think that goes back to your point of, of proper diligence, right? Making sure that that specific innovation office has the ability to eventually, you know, reach some sort of champion with budget and ability to productize and purchase, become a vendor, et cetera. So the idea of a startup having a library of the needs it's trying to solve for is fascinating. If it can really understand a larger company's use cases that are in need of a solution and who would be the right champion for that use case, the probability that a good match can happen goes way up. That's a great way also for corporates to approach startups, as opposed to just saying, I saw this great technology and maybe it can solve a problem we have, and then starting a process. It can focus on the use cases that matter and that match a particular startup's solutions. So this is actually the exactly the bottom-up, top-down approaches that I spoke earlier. I think that uh, the top-down is the ones that you dictate in advance and you have predefined requirements coming from the business units that you develop with them. And it's sometimes easier because, right, you have you have uh, certainty what would be the next solutions that you need to scout for and assess and, and to, have a pro- uh, to have a process with versus the bottom up, the ones that you say, hey, I know the business unit. I know what the solutions that you're seeking for. I saw interesting ones that are not specifically written on the exact uh, strategy. And I'm interested in showing it to you. It's understanding the needs. You know, it's it has to do with budget. It has to do with personnel that should be onboarded with the projects and the innovation uh, POCs and in deployments afterwards. But you do need to, to leave some wiggle room for us also as innovation managers based on the knowledge that we have. And based on the things that give us prerogative and our discretion, the appetite comes with eating approach. I agree. It's, it's really, we have a process for every step, but over 90% of the technologies are based on the briefs that were written. And every step of the process, defining the needs, meeting startups, deciding who to pilot, we have a backdoor to see if there's something really creative. We now have the eyes and ears of the leaders that they could think more expansively. But our success rate when it's anchored on a need and a clear use case is disproportionately higher 
than when it's opportunistic. So it's easily north of 90%. But we also don't reach out to the startup ecosystem until we spend two months defining what those opportunities are. So it's such a rigorous process that it should be more or less identified, except for those technologies that we didn't even think of asking about them. There's a development process going on. And at the front end of the development process, there's a lot more flexibility and opportunity to shape the solution. As ideas, initiatives, and technologies move down the development process, the requirements get a lot tighter. So if you go and ask a business unit, what are they looking for? If it's down the funnel, you'll get very specific requirements. And I've always believed that you know the not invented syndrome that people hear about isn't as real as people think. Because often it's the case is we're down in the funnel, the specifications and requirements are tight, and there isn't an endless array of solutions that can fit that use case. And so it bounces off. Or it takes the startup in a very different direction in order to fit with the belief that something might scale. Unfortunately, oftentimes it doesn't. But at the front end of the funnel, where there is a lot more flexibility, there is a lot more solutioning, a lot more needs out there. I think that's where... In a, to any ventures thinking about working with enterprise, you have a lot more opportunity and the use case identification can be really powerful because then you're more of in a searching and an open mode to, to find solutions as opposed to a you know really specific search to solve a, a very specific problem. It depends where you are in that cycle as to how well that use case identification and prioritization works. And I'm sure I, I suspect each of you have experienced some version of that, yeah. I I completely agree. As long as you're not kicking the problem down the road and that innovation office can, at a certain point, translate that into an actual project, et cetera. Well, I think you have to have someone as such as yourselves really strong and experienced to do it because oftentimes you run into these little offices that are hanging off on the side who have a little bit of money, a little bit of a mandate, not a lot of exposure, and they meet all of you and it creates a slightly less than desirable outcome for everybody. But with that, thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure getting to get to know all of you and getting a chance to hear from all of you as well. So thank you so, so much for your time, your participation, your energy. And uh, I hope everyone learned something along the way. Thanks for listening. You can find a transcript of this conversation at mckinsey.com slash committed innovator. We look forward to having you join us again soon for the next episode of The Committed Innovator. 